Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, good morning again, and uh, the pleasure it is to be with you on this rather frosty morning, but worshipping the Lord here together at Christchurch Fullwood. Uh, it is the first time I've been able to visit you here at Christchurch, but uh, of course I've known of the church for many years uh, and have uh, dear friendship with Hugh Palmer going right back to the days when he and I were students together in Ridley Hall in the 1970s. So uh, that's a, a friendship which is now very happily brought together as we work together at All Souls down in London. Uh, and it was good of you to give him to us. We know it was a bit of a struggle, but um, we're grateful. And also, uh, I know that Paul and Caroline are not here this morning, but, or Paul anyway, uh, but it, um, great, of course, to remember our being colleagues with Paul and Caroline at All Souls in the years past as well. Now, we're thinking this morning of mission, uh, and uh, as you've seen in the service sheet, uh, that the, the title I've given is The Five Marks of Mission uh, and the Great Commission that was just read to us a few minutes ago. Thinking of the five marks of, of our mission, but I think that's not particularly where we should begin. Uh, it seems to me that we need to begin with the mission of God himself, and I'm just going to every now and again have to wave to Peter up here uh, so that he will put on the screen I think you could go right through that whole section, that whole slide to come. Uh, uh, if you could just push it a little bit further forward uh, with whatever is going to come next. Um, here we go. Something will happen sooner or later. If not, we'll just give up on the technicality. That, there we go. That's all right. Good. So what is the mission of God? What is God about in his world? It seems to me that that is something that the Apostle Paul gives a very brief answer to in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 when he says this, that God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Paul says that's God's great purpose God's plan, God's will, God's mission, if you like to use that expression. God's purpose is to bring all things in heaven and earth into unity under Christ. In other words, God's plan is cosmic. It is to redeem and transform and to heal the whole of God's creation, which of course has been spoiled and fractured and broken by sin and rebellion, and to bring it into that new creation that we read about uh, in Isaiah and in, in Revelation, a new creation that will be populated by people from every tribe and language and nation in the whole world, and he will have accomplished that through the cross and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord and God and Savior of the world. That, in a sense, is the plan of God that takes us from Genesis chapters 1 and 2, right through to Revelation, chapters 21 and 22. It's the whole of the Bible in a nutshell, what Paul puts in there. It speaks of the creation, the fall and our sin, God's plan of redemption, and the new creation that lies ahead of us. And mission then, God's mission is fundamentally God's work, God's activity, which is driving this whole story of the Bible forwards towards that glorious conclusion. And that's the mission that he calls us to participate in. Now, a minute ago, uh, when I was being interviewed, I mentioned uh, the Lausanne movement and this particular statement that came out of the Cape Town Congress uh, in 2010. And in a number of places, it seeks to define what mission is. 
And I'd like to read to you one of the paragraphs, which I think will go on the screen if we move. You can see at the bottom there, Cape Town Commitment, part one, section 10, if you want to look it up in the future. Uh, But some words should come up now. There we go. This is the first part. I'll read this through. I'm not sure if you can all see that from the back of the church, but I'll read it anyway. It talks about how we are committed to world mission, as I know you are here at Fullwood, because it is central to our understanding of God, the Bible, the church, human history, and the ultimate future. The whole Bible reveals the mission of God to bring all things in heaven and on earth into unity under Christ. You can hear Ephesians in there. Reconciling them through the blood of his cross. That's from Colossians. In fulfilling his mission, God will transform the creation broken by sin and evil into the new creation in which there is no more sin or curse. God will fulfill his promise to Abraham. Uh, so I just wanted to watch it on the screen. God will fulfill his promise to Abraham to bless all nations on earth through the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the seed of Abraham. God will transform the fractured world of nations that are scattered under the judgment of God into the new humanity that will be redeemed by the blood of Christ from every tribe, nation, people, and language and will be gathered to worship our God and Savior. God will destroy the reign of death, corruption, and violence when Christ returns to establish his eternal reign of life, justice, and peace. And then God, Emmanuel, will dwell with us and the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever. Well, that's something of the the mission of God, which I hope Uh, in a sense resonates with you. I hope you believe that that is what we are part of. But if that is the mission of God, then the question of course arises, then in that case, so what? What about us? Who are we and what are we here for as God's people? And that's the question really that lies behind this issue of our mission. If God's mission is so holistic, so integrated, so comprehensive, including the whole of creation, then in some respect, the church's mission, what we are involved in, must have some similar comprehensiveness to what we are committed to if we are participating with God in what God is doing. Now, over the years, of course, uh, various Christian scholars and writers have made various attempts to express, well, then, what is the mission of the church? And one particular one that was done within the Anglican Communion years ago, in fact, it goes right back to 1984, was called the Five Marks of Mission. I'll read these to you, and then, and then we'll see them on the screen in, in a particular form. This is a, 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 a consultation document which back to 1984 and it said this that the mission of the church is the mission of Christ one to proclaim the good news of the kingdom two to teach baptize and nurture new believers three to respond to human need by loving service four to seek to transform unjust structures of society Five, to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth. Or to put it in five simple words, and perhaps we could now see the the diagram coming up on the screen. Again, not sure if you can read all that, a little bit dark. But you'll see five words there, evangelism, teaching, compassion, justice, and creation care. And all of them organized around the centrality of the lordship of Christ, as, of course, they need to be. And that's the 
so-called five marks of mission. In fact, one or two books even have been published with that uh, title. These are five elements, all scriptural, all committed to us and commanded within the scriptures themselves as part of our mission. However, I find it a little bit easier to group these five into three. Uh, so that if the next uh, slide comes on the screen, we'll see this reduced to three. Because it seems to me very clear that in evangelism and teaching, both of those first two marks, what are we doing? We are building the church. We are bringing people to repentance and to faith and to obedience within the family of God uh, because uh, of responding to the Lordship of Christ. So you can see over there on the left, building the church with evangelism and teaching going together. But then secondly, compassion and justice in exercising those particular qualities, we are serving society because we are sent into the world as Jesus told his disciples in John's gospel, as the Father sent me into the world, so I send you into the world to love, to serve, to be salt and light in the world, to seek the welfare of the city where God has put us as Jeremiah told the exiles in Babylon uh, to pray for it, to be a blessing to the nations, as God told Abraham to be, uh, to be doing good in the world, as Paul told his people. So building the church on the one hand, serving society on the other through uh, works of love and service and compassion and justice, and then thirdly, caring for creation. Because uh, the very first great commission that God gave to the human race was to do that. Uh, Put us in the earth to care and to keep what God had created. is a mandate that goes right back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Now you may be saying, well hang on a moment. I thought this was all about the great commission. uh, Which we read a few moments ago from the end of Matthew's gospel. And doesn't the great commission just tell us to go and evangelize the world? Well, no, actually, it doesn't just say that. In fact, the Great Commission is several commands, not just one, and it doesn't even begin with a command. It begins with a statement where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So the Great Commission is not, as it's sometimes parodied, as just go. I went to a great missions festival once in Canada. Uh, It's a fairly well-known one over there, and it is a very good one. It's called Missions Fest. And they have this great sort of convention uh, every year in in different cities in Canada. And I went to the one in Vancouver as a speaker one year, and their slogan for that year was simply, all around the world was, just go. And I remember when I saw that and walked into the great convention hall, I thought, well, just hold on (laughs) a moment. Um, I mean, what about just get trained? What about just think about what you're doing? What about just learn something of the, the teaching of the scriptures? Don't just go. It's in a very, I thought, well, maybe Nike has got in and branded this. Uh, you know, just, just go and do it, you know, whatever it, whatever it is. No, the, the, the point I'm making here is that the Great Commission begins as that diagram shows with the centrality of the Lordship of Christ. We have to start with God and God's mission and God's Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth, the cosmic universal lordship of Jesus is what undergirds all our mission. So in building up the church as we seek to do through evangelism and teaching, what are we doing? We are doing it because Jesus is Lord of 
the church. And when we serve society as we go out into the world to do that, why do we do that? Well, we do it because Jesus is Lord, not Caesar or any of Caesar's successors as the early Christians went out into the Roman Empire. Jesus is Lord of every nation and society and government and culture and president and king and prime minister. They may not acknowledge it, but the reality is that in going into the world, we go into what belongs to Christ. And we serve it in the name of Christ. And in caring for creation, we are doing it because Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So creation itself honors him. And as we seek to care for it, we are doing what is honoring him too. So this then is is that sense that comes also within the Cape Town commitment, as I'll quote again in a moment, that our mission has this sense of comprehensiveness about it. It's derived from and it's a response to the lordship of Jesus Christ in all three of these areas, to individual people who are sinners and need salvation, to society which needs to receive the love and service of God's people as salt and light, and to creation, uh, because all three are the objects of God's love. There's a, a, a section, again, just to quote, just to whet your appetite in case you want to get hold of this. You can actually download it for free, by the way, from the Lausanne website, just lausanne.org. And you can get the Cape Town commitment there. But here's another little snippet. It says that the gospel is God's good news through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ for individual persons and for society and for creation. All three are broken and suffering because of sin. All three are included in the redeeming love and mission of God. And all three must therefore be part of the comprehensive mission of God's people. So let's go around this circle then and think just for a few minutes in each case of what they mean, building the church, serving society, caring for creation. So if we can move on one slide to building the church, of course, uh, that includes, yes, the next uh, click, uh, includes evangelism. Because in evangelism, we are proclaiming the good news that the God who created the world has acted to save the world from the consequences of sin and evil, both human and satanic, and that God has done that through his son, Jesus of Nazareth, who came in fulfillment of God's promise, as God had promised in the Old Testament to Abraham and to Israel, came as Messiah and King, who died on the cross for our sins, as Paul put it, who was raised up again by by God to life in accordance with the Scriptures and who is now reigning uh, with God in glory and who will return as king and judge. There is an end to this story. So we tell that story of God, of what God has done, the biblical story of creation, fall and redemption and a future hope. And as people hear that good news and respond to it in repentance and turning from themselves and putting their trust in Jesus, then they become part of that story. They enter into it. They are included within it, with their sins forgiven and with the assurance of an eternal life with God in the future in that new creation. And as people respond to that news and that message and that story, then, says Jesus, we are to baptize them into, as it literally says in the Great Commission, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means, in other words, that we receive them into relationship 
with God the Father who loves them and God the Son who died for them and God the Holy Spirit who joins them to the Father and the Son and lives within them. That's the work to which we are called, the work of evangelism, proclamation of the gospel. And that is central, as I say on there. It is central to our Christian mission, but not central in the sense that everything else then simply becomes marginal. You know, you can have something which is central and everything else is so far out at the edges you never really see it. I'm using the word central here more in the sense in which a hub is central to a wheel. That is to say, a a working wheel, like the wheel of a car. Uh, say, the driving wheel, which is connected through the hub and the axle to the engine. And in that sense, the gospel, our evangelistic work, is central because it declares what God has done. And unless God has done something, there's no point in us doing anything. But what we do, we do, as it were, energized and driven by the power of the Holy Spirit because of what God has done. So that's, as it were, the hub, the driving hub, energized by the the engine and the fuel of God's own mission. But if you think of the wheel of a car, if it's only a hub, there's not much point. All you've got is a spinning axle head. It has to be in connection with the road. There has to be a contact with the world in which that wheel is meant to drive. And in that sense, our mission as well has to be, as they say, where the rubber hits the road. There is a context. And therefore, that gospel, that evangelism, has to be integrated with all the rest of the things that we do uh, in serving and loving uh, and lives that are committed uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So evangelism is central, but it's central to an integrated concept of mission in which everything else that we do is organized and ordered and integrated around this centrality of the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, it seems to me that the Cape Town commitment is trying to express that kind of integration of our mission. Uh, There's a, a little section which is called the integrity of our mission, and it says this, that the source of all our mission The source, if you like, the hub, is what God has done in Christ for the redemption of the whole world as revealed in the Bible. So our evangelistic task is to make that good news known to all the nations. But the context of all our mission is the world in which we live, the world of sin and suffering and injustice and creational disorder into which God sends us to love and serve for Christ's sake. All our mission, therefore, must reflect the integration of evangelism and committed engagement in the world, both being ordered and driven by the biblical revelation of the gospel of God. So evangelism. But then evangelism also needs teaching as we move on to the next slide. Thank you. Because Jesus said, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. In other words, we are to make disciples the way Jesus did bringing people to simple repentance and conversion, a decision, is not enough. Jesus said in his parable that the soil, rather the seed, needs deep soil in order to grow to maturity and bear fruit. Paul talked about how the seed needed to be watered with teaching. And so you will find that teaching of God's people is central to the whole of the scriptures, not just in the new, but even in the old. You go back to the Old Testament and you find there that uh, teaching is constantly being done within the people of God. 
In fact, uh, I, I rather like that quotation from Professor Andrew Walls, profession of, professor of mission up in Edinburgh, who said that the Old Testament is the oldest and longest program of theological education. went on for a thousand years or more because God was seeking to teach a whole people, to shape them, to educate them in the knowledge of God. Uh, and so you find the teaching of parents to children, the teaching of Levites, the teaching of the law, very important in the Old Testament. So it's not surprising when Jesus comes along that he spends his three years on earth with his disciples teaching, teaching, teaching them the word of God and the truth of the kingdom of God. Then that's followed up by the apostle Paul. He was a missionary, yes, but teaching of the churches was um, as much a part of his mission work as evangelism was. Uh, he didn't stop being a missionary when he sat down to write letters or when he stayed in Ephesus for several years teaching them the whole counsel of God. There was his personal example and there's also his missionary team. You know, the people who were around Paul. He made sure that they were people like Timothy and Titus uh, who were able to teach to others what he had taught to them so that the church would grow to maturity. And in Corinth, uh, Paul was followed by Apollos, is a fascinating character, really, Apollos, uh, in Acts chapter 18, right at the very end. He's, in my opinion, one of the very first really cross-cultural missionaries because he was, he was Jewish, but he had grown up in Africa, in Egypt, in Alexandria, which is where he came to know about Jesus and came to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Then he goes and has further theological education in Asia, because he goes across to the province of Asia in Turkey, uh, what we would now call Turkey, and he gets uh, from Priscilla and Aquila this further teaching about Jesus. And then he goes from Asia to Europe, across to Greece, where he teaches the church in Corinth systematically. And he teaches them about Jesus and the Old Testament, and he uh, is their teacher. So from Africa to Asia to Europe, but Paul says, this is the amazing thing in 1 Corinthians, Paul would not allow that there was any difference between his work as an evangelist church planter and Apollos' work as a theological educator and church teacher. He says we have one mission, one purpose, which is to bring the church to maturity. And so when, if you'd asked the apostle Paul, are your churches growing I don't think he would have understood the question to mean just growing in numbers. For Paul, that was the gospel growing. In Colossians 1, he talks about the gospel growing through the world. The kind of church growth that Paul wanted was what he calls in, in, one, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, where he's praying that they would be growing in the knowledge of God's will, uh, where they would be growing and living by God's standards. And in verse 11, where they would be proving God's strength in their lives. That's the kind of growth that he wanted, growth of maturity. That's the kind of work, by the way, that Apollos sort of work that the Langham Partnership really is, is primarily doing. Uh, we, we don't see Langham as a church planting ministry. Others do that. Our job, in a sense, is to come alongside the church as the Apollos uh, to provide the means, the resources, the books, the training that enables the church to grow in depth and in maturity uh, and in Christ-likeness. So that's the first then, uh, building the church through evangelism and teaching. And so we need to keep moving and we move on to the next one. We're going around now from building the church to serving society. And you may say again, where's that in the Great Commission? Compassion, justice, and so on. 
Well, I would say it's there very clearly by implication when Jesus says in verse 18, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. The first thing to say about that little phrase, to teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, is that it's almost pure Deuteronomy. Do you remember in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, God or Moses said again and again to the people of Israel, be careful to observe all that the Lord your God has commanded you, or all that I have commanded you, if it's Moses speaking. And in Deuteronomy, it was very clear what God had commanded his people. That reading that we had from chapter 10, it's the reason why I chose for it to be read, is where God says, look, what do I want from you people? I want that you would walk in obedience to the Lord, loving him, serving him, obeying him. And if you say, well, then what does that mean? God says it very clearly. God defends the cause of the widow and the orphan. He loves the foreigner, gives them food and clothing, and you are to love the foreigners in your midst. In other words, you are to do for others the things that God did for you. There's this very strong emphasis in the Old Testament as a whole, but particularly in a book like Deuteronomy and the prophets, on showing compassion to the needy and doing justice for those who are marginalized and oppressed. That was very much the message of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And so here is Jesus with the same tone of voice with the same phraseology almost as it were saying to his disciples that your mission is to teach others to obey what I have commanded you and that certainly included commandments about showing love and mercy and seeking justice even if we only went back through Matthew's gospel we would find that I know that as a church you've been I think you are working in Matthew's gospel at the moment, uh, which is why I chose to use this one from the end of Matthew's gospel. But you remember in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, righteousness, justice. We have tended to make the word righteousness mean only our right relationship with God. And of course, it does include that. But the word that Jesus used in the Old Testament includes both right relationship with God and right relationship with others and seeking right relationships in society, what is right and just and fair. And in 6.33, Matthew, seek first the reign of God, the kingdom of God, and his justice, righteousness in the world. Well, Matthew 23, verse 23, where Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you're very meticulous in all your tithing laws, but he said, you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, says Jesus, justice, mercy, And faithfulness, Jesus says, those are the things that really matter. Probably echoing Micah chapter 6, verse 8, that little triplet where God said that he calls people to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So Jesus, you see, there in the Gospels, is standing in that great scriptural tradition, mandating justice and compassion within society as the task of God's people. And Jesus endorses it, commissions his apostle to do the same, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And they did. They went out and did it. Uh, And uh, Jesus himself says, look, uh, you are the light of the world. And light is not just light of the truth of the gospel, though of course it includes that. Probably when Jesus said that phrase, uh, uh, he was thinking of the kind of light in Isaiah 58, where God had said to his people, look, this is the kind of fasting that I want. Uh, He says that you should 
Loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke, share your food with the hungry, provide the poor with shelter, clothe the naked, and so on. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, said Isaiah. And Jesus said to the disciples, that's what you are. That's how you are to live. So let your light so shine among men that they may see your good deeds, your beautiful lives, literally, uh, and glorify your Father in heaven. And so the early church went out and did that. And again, I've just put on the screen a few quick references there. In Acts chapter 4, you find the early church seeking to uh, alleviate poverty in their midst. Uh, you find the Apostle Paul, that when he's received into apostleship by the churches in Jerusalem, he says, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I've been eager to do all along. Uh, there in Galatians. In, in Titus, Paul tells Christian believers to be doing good eight times in that one little letter. Uh, and in uh, James, of course, is that famous passage about faith and works. So I'll leave that one there because we need to keep moving. But it does seem to me that uh, when Jesus talks about baptizing and teaching and then adds teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, he would have included all that the Gospels tell us about Jesus' concern for the needy and the poor and to be people who are marked by compassion and love and generosity and sacrificial service of the needy. So the two first things, we're building the church through evangelism and teaching, we're serving society through compassion and justice, and finally also we are to be caring for creation. We could, in fact, have started there because it's where Jesus started In his opening words, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And heaven and earth is a phrase which in the Old and the New Testament is a kind of composite little two words put together, meaning all of creation. In the beginning, verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the opening language of the Bible. And it's also the closing language of the Bible. Because at the end of the Bible, it is that John sees a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation. So what Jesus is doing here again at the opening of the Great Commission is that he is, we might say, assuming the Yahweh, the the, the Deuteronomic God position. When Jesus says those words, he's again almost exactly quoting from what God had said about himself in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 39. God says, acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and in the earth below. There is no other. That's what God says about himself. God in heaven and on earth. And Jesus stands there on the Mount of Ascension, as it were, and says, look, you guys, you know who I am now. That I am, in fact, the Lord God, the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth belongs. He is the God of all creation. And that creation truth about Jesus is what the Apostle Paul picks up and amplifies in one of the most amazing passages in the whole New Testament in Colossians chapter 1. Listen to these words. This is Paul speaking about Jesus, and he says, In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, all things. He says that word five times in this passage. Have been created through him and for him. He's talking about the whole creation. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Then he speaks about the church as the body of Christ, and then he comes back to it in verse uh, 19. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So says Paul in Colossians, the whole universe, the whole creation, is created by and for Christ, is sustained by Christ, and has been redeemed by Christ through the blood of the cross. And that's not just Paul, of course. John says the same in John chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1. So if this is the Jesus we worship this morning, then we cannot separate our personal submission to Jesus as Lord of our lives and the fact that Jesus is also Lord of the whole of the creation in which we live. We can't pull them apart as if we could honor him as Lord in one place and simply forget or ignore him in the other. And once again, I think for the last time I would quote from the Cape Town Commission, uh, which I think has got it on there, the Cape Town Commitment. Uh, Yes, there it is on the screen, so I can find it here and just read it to you. It says that uh, we cannot claim to love God while abusing what belongs to Christ by right of creation, redemption, and inheritance. That is to abuse the earth, uh, our environment. We, and we here means we as Christians, we care for the earth and responsibly use its abundant resources, not according to the rationale of the secular world, who believe, well, we've got to do something about the environment or we all fry or drown or something. We should be doing it for the Lord's sake. If Jesus is Lord of all the earth, then we cannot separate our relationship to Christ from how we act in relation to the earth. For to proclaim the gospel that says Jesus is Lord is to proclaim the gospel that includes the earth, since Christ's lordship is over all creation. Creation care is thus a gospel issue within the lordship of Christ, is part of the mission to which we are called as human beings in God's world. Well, I'll not say much more about that. I could go on. But the the next slide, I think, simply uh, speaks about the goal of all creation. Because this is not just something we take, as it were, from the past, that we live in a world created by God and go back to Genesis. It's also something we are drawn to because the goal of creation, the purpose of creation, is ultimately to bring glory to God and to be redeemed by him and to be rejoicing in that new creation. As I say, I'll not take time uh, to go through that. But so here we are then, perhaps the next slide will just remind us, uh, uh, well, yeah, you can even go past that, to what we've been thinking of. The whole of our mission includes all that is included within the purposes of God, the mission of God, and it's there in the Great Commission, either directly, because obviously the command to baptize and to teach, to build the church, or by implication, because we are to teach what Christ commanded and Christ certainly commanded about serving and loving and generosity and and all that is within that sense of serving society. And the lordship of Christ is a creational lordship. It's a cosmic lordship. And therefore our commission and our mission is exercised within the creation in which we live as well. And so a few points then to finish off with. Again, we have to ask, so what? We go to the last slide, I think. Put it all on the screen would probably be the best thing. First of all, yes, that God's whole mission is for God's whole church. But everybody doesn't have to do everything. 
The first part that I'm trying to say here is that mission, although we do rightly have particular mission Sundays when we emphasize the importance of our cross-cultural mission, those whom we support and send, uh, as the early church did, uh, into specific uh, cross-cultural international mission, that is important, but mission as such is not something which is simply left to those few people that we send out as missionaries or mission partners. The whole church exists for God's mission. It's our very reason for existence. Everything that the church is and does ought in that sense to be missional and should relate in one way or another to those five marks. But not everybody should be doing everything. Sometimes I'm asked that by people that when I talk about this, you know, holistic mission, all the stuff, they say to me after, look, there's only one of me. You talk about, you know, preaching the gospels, serving the poor, feeding the hungry, caring for creation. I can't do all that. And I say, well, I think that thought probably occurred to God as well, which is why he created the church. He doesn't expect one person to do it all. He does expect the whole body of Christ to be committed to an understanding of mission which includes a breadth of our commitment to what Uh, we are involved in his mission. So yes, of course, we should be committed to evangelism, preaching the gospel and letting the world know. We should also be committed to those who are in one way or another serving in society or caring for creation. So God's whole mission then is for God's whole church. And that means that the church's whole mission includes every church member in all the areas of our service in the church and in the world. If the whole church is missional by calling, then all Christians are missional by calling. We are all called into God's mission. And we need to challenge one another not to think that mission is simply something that we leave to the pastors and the clergy and the missionaries, but that rather every one of us as a member of the body of Christ is part and parcel of what God is doing in mission. Yes, we should support all of those who were on the screen earlier. Yes, we should pray and give and support for those who are called into that particular form of mission that God privileges them with and gives us the privilege of supporting them. But all of us, in one way or another, are engaged in mission. I remember Hugh Palmer once saying at All Souls Church, maybe he said it here at Fullwood as well, he said, this church, All Souls, sends out 1,500 mission partners every week. Um, meaning, of course, the total membership of the church. And he said, and a few of them happen to be serving overseas. But all of us, he was saying, in this building, in this church, every time we go out the church doors, we are entering the mission field. We are committed to what God is doing. And therefore, thirdly and finally, not just that God's whole mission is for God's whole church and the church's whole mission includes every member, but every member's mission includes the whole of life that all of us are engaged for God in the whole of our lives, in our working lives, in our leisure, in our places of work, in our homes, the office, whatever it may be, that is the place where our front line is. That is the place where God expects us to be engaged in his purpose and mission. Let's not divide the world up into sacred and secular. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, and there's not much else to be apart from heaven and earth. The whole of life, all of life, is under the lordship of Christ. So let's make sure then that if Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, that there is no place, no job, no part of life that is exempt from the great commission that God lays upon us and privileges us and promises to be with us in. For his name's sake, amen.